62. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 62. Who do we find confidence in? Like David and the other psalmists, we find our confidence and our hope in God and in God alone. And this, uh, like some of the other psalms we've studied, is a psalm of David. So let's read these words together. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. Low-born men are but a breath. The high-born are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong and that you, O God, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. This is the word of the Lord. A dispute between neighbors last week erupted into a shooting death. There was a 58-year-old white woman who claimed she felt threatened by the black kids that live right next door to her. They're yelling, they're trespassing, they're being obnoxious to her. She threw one of their roller skates over the fence back into their property only to hit one of the children, and that escalated into a lot of verbal stuff and a 911 call where the woman claimed she no longer felt safe in her own home. But when those children's mother came to that woman's door, banging on the door, yelling and screaming at her, she pulled out her gun, she fired a shot through the closed door, she hit the neighbor lady, and she killed her. And now a court has to sort out, was it a justified shooting? Is it a crime to cause someone to feel threatened? even if it's only by what you say, even if it's only sharing your convictions or political beliefs, if someone feels threatened by that, is that a crime? And how serious of a crime is it if it is one? Well, in our text, David felt threatened. He was a king. Kings have enemies, people who oppose them, people who would like to see them dead or at least toppled from their position of power. And so David talks about this in verses 3 and 4. Let's read it together. So many enemies against one man, all of them trying to kill me. 
To them, I'm just a broken down wall or a tottering fence. They plan to topple me from my high position. They delight in telling lies about me. They praise me to my face, but curse me in their hearts. That's a familiar theme in David's writings in the Psalms. We saw something similar in Psalm 30 when David felt threatened by a serious illness. We don't know exactly what it was, but he was in dire need of God's healing and God healed him and David thanked him. Or in Psalm 31, David cries out to God to protect him from the lies and threats of his enemies who are conspiring to kill him. Now, some of us may read psalms like this, like Psalm 62, and say to ourselves, well, I'm not a king, I'm not a queen, I'm not a very important person, I don't have these enemies who are threatening to kill me, so I really don't relate to what David writes here. Well, in a strict sense, maybe that's the case for you. But I suspect all of us can relate to knowing what it feels like to feel threatened or anxious or afraid about something. We may not have enemies that are people who are out to kill us, but we do face a variety of enemies, don't we? For some of us, an enemy is cancer. For Doug and Brenda Vanderplug and their family, it was Brenda's mom. Two months ago, had a clean mammogram scan and then all of a sudden, suddenly out of the blue is diagnosed with a very aggressive form of stage four breast cancer. And two weeks later, she's gone. Whenever we hear that word cancer, it makes us uneasy and anxious and probably should because it can be a life threatening thing. Or maybe our enemy is an addiction of some kind that we struggle with. Lots of people struggle with those things. Maybe it's a mental illness like depression or schizophrenia. Maybe it's a chronic temptation that you face. Trying to control your anger. Trying to control your greed or your lust. Trying to manage money wisely. Maybe your enemy is chronic pain that you live with every single day and you feel like it's an enemy that you have to face. Or it's an unfaithful spouse or it's a boss that doesn't treat you very well, or a bully at school. Enemies can take various shapes and forms, but I suspect we all can relate to how David felt when he felt threatened. There's no shortage of people in situations that we all face that make us feel much like he felt. The question is, what do we do? What do you do when you face enemies? threats. I would recommend we do what David did. We, according to verse 8, pour out our heart to God. We go to God and take it to Him in prayer. Like the, the Psalms of Lament, we're honest with God about the threats we face, how they make us feel, and we talk to Him about those things. That's one of the best things that we can do, and the psalmists model for us very well how to do it. David says in verse 1, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He found rest in God. 
That word rest is an interesting word. It implies that there are situations we find ourselves in that disturb our rest, that disturb our sense that all is well. So we long for a place of rest where we can lay those burdens and anxieties aside and just rest for a moment. And the New Living Translation puts it like this, I wait quietly before God for my victory comes from Him. John Calvin calls that the grace of silence. Some people, when they get disturbed and feel threatened, they lash out with angry words or violent deeds. They try to hurt someone like the woman down in Florida. Whereas sometimes the best thing is to wait quietly and let God be our defense. If you notice, this phrase from verse 1 is repeated in verse 5, but it's a little bit different. So let's look at these two verses. Verse 1, David states it like a fact. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. Then in verse 5, it's almost like he's reminding himself that that's the case. Because it's not an easy thing to do. So he sort of commands himself. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. It's like he's giving himself a pep talk. Because he knows what he should be doing, but it's difficult to do. And isn't that often the case for us? We know who God is. We know what we're supposed to do. But we almost need to remind ourselves sometimes to do it. For example, we know John 3.16. Let's read it together out loud just in case you don't know it. John 3.16. Do I have it? Nope. Well, we all know it. Let's say it together. Test time. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. We know that to be true. But now let's say you're diagnosed with terminal cancer and you have only weeks to live. All of a sudden, that concept in that verse, believing in Jesus for eternal life, isn't just an idea to agree with. It is a truth you have to claim for yourself personally. It's life or death. It's heaven or hell. So much of our Christian life is like this where we know what we're supposed to do, but it's hard to do. And so we have to tell ourselves we have to do this. We know the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But you have to tell yourself, I have to do that. Or love your neighbor as yourself and be an effective witness. But I have to do that. Not just say it's true. Or, I have to make lifelong disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what God calls all of us to be doing. But am I doing that? I have to do it. Or we go back to Psalm 62. Find rest in God alone. Sure, that's where we should find rest. But all of a sudden, something happens and I'm anxious and fearful. And I have to do it. I have to find my rest in Him. The reason finding rest in God is so challenging for many of us is we tend to look elsewhere. 
We tend to look to other things for our comfort and our security. Our first instinct, I suspect, is to distrust in ourselves. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and push through, we tell ourselves. That's kind of the American independent idea. We're on our own. We'll do it on our own by ourselves. Or we maybe look to friends. Trust on a few people to help us out. Or maybe you're in a situation you look to a powerful or influential person because you think it's only them and the power and influence they have that's going to help me out of this situation. Some people resort to breaking the law. Don't have enough money? Rob a bank. Steal from somebody. Then you'll have enough. Or think that your own money and resources is going to be sufficient to get you out of anything you face. All of those alternatives are exactly the same alternatives that David talks about in verses 9 and 10. Let's read it out loud. Common people are as worthless as a puff of wind, and the powerful are not what they appear to be. If you weigh them on the scales, together they are lighter than a breath of air. Don't make your living by extortion or put your hope in stealing. And if your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. These are the ways we often try to manage the anxious things that happen to us. Another common strategy is to say, well, I trust in God, but it's God plus something. I trust in God plus my money and resources. Together, we'll make it through. Or I trust God plus the good people in my life, or God plus something. But people can be unreliable. Money can't fix everything, and your own ways of dealing with things don't always work. So you try those God plus ideas, and you end up right where David did. It's in God alone that I end up trusting, because He's the only one who ultimately is going to come through for me. We need to trust in God alone. We don't see it in the English, but that word alone is highlighted in this text. If you could read the Hebrew, the very first word of verse 1, verse 2, verse 5, verse 6 is the Hebrew word ak, which means only or alone. And in Hebrew, when you put a word first in the sentence, it's putting emphasis on that. So in Hebrew, this text would read something like this. Only in God my soul finds rest. Only in God do I find my rock and my salvation. Only in God is my rest alone. Only God is my fortress so that I will not be shaken. Only God is this firm foundation on which we can stand. Maybe you've seen videos of people getting in or out of boats, and that doesn't always go so well. Um, this is a wooden dock, and the woman, you know, sort of does the splits. The dock starts to separate from the stable dock, and down you go. Well, that's a picture of me and you. When you try to do the God and thing, you got one foot on God, one foot on what I think is going to work. Well, Eventually, you see what happens. It's not really very wise. 
trust in God alone, then we have our feet on solid ground. Another reason God alone is solid ground is found in the words and images that David uses in this text. God is our rock. He's our refuge. He's our fortress. He's our salvation. So, rock, refuge, fortress, those are all very similar images that have to do with these rocky places that are high and difficult to get to and provide you with some level of protection from your enemies. Masada is a great example of this. Masada is a flat-top mountain right near the Dead Sea. And Herod the Great said that looks like a great place for a fortress. It's kind of naturally a fortress already, so he just made it even more so. And he built one of his palaces, one of his most secure palaces, on the top of that rock. It sits all by itself. It's got great climate year-round. The only way up to the top of that rock is a winding path that one single file line can get to, very easily defended. Herod built a wall around the top. He had a series of aqueducts built so the rain would come and it would fill these ginormous cisterns full of fresh water, years worth of fresh water, years worth of food and grain stored there. And he built a series of terraced palaces for himself indicated by those arrows so he had the best views of anybody. I mean, it was the best place ever. An impregnable fortress. So much so that in history, later, after Jesus died and rose, a few years after that, the Romans came in because the Jewish people revolted against them and they were going to put them down once and for all, the Romans. And so a group of 960 Jewish men, women, and their families all took fortress in Masada. How long do you think it took a Roman legion of soldiers to conquer them there? A year. It took a full year for a thousand armed men to get to the top of that place. They had to build a siege ramp. You'll see it on the other side there. That siege ramp is still there. They had to build it, defending themselves while they built. Finally, they had a ramp. Then they had the siege works and they finally could put stuff up there that would punch through the wall and they conquered the Jewish people there only to find they all committed suicide. Because they refused to live under the pagan Romans one minute. It's quite a story. If Masada had been built in David's time, he would have said, God is my refuge. He is my Masada. In Him I will not be shaken. That's the image. But fortresses like that are defensive It doesn't help you conquer your enemy. It just helps you not be conquered by them. So there's another word repeatedly used in this psalm to describe what we need from God, and that is the word salvation. Rescue. At the end of this psalm, in verses 11 and 12, David uses two very important words to describe God and the salvation He gives. Why don't we read this together? One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong, and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person 
according to what He has done. So you have the first word, strong. God is incredibly strong. In fact, He's almighty. He's invincible. No one is stronger than God. Not even close. But He's also loving. The Hebrew word for loving here is chesed, which means He's tender-hearted. He's faithful and loyal. He's good. He's merciful. And that is a powerful and unusual combination of things. Salvation is only possible because God has a lot of both. If God were only strong, He might have the ability to rescue and save, but He wouldn't have any desire to do so. Certainly no desire to sacrifice Himself for anybody else. Strong people don't necessarily do that. So He's also loving He not only has the power to do it, but He wants to do it because He loves so deeply. God is this amazing combination of strength and love, which is why we trust in Him alone. Interestingly enough, that's also the same two qualities that parents need. Like Sean and Maria and all the rest of us raising kids. You need to be strong to stand up against the stubborn and selfish demands of your children sometimes. But you need to be loving so that you're not harsh and cruel and you're tender-hearted towards your kids. You need both. But if God is so strong and if God is so loving, then why does He still have enemies? Why doesn't He just annihilate all of the people and things that oppose Him? One day I suspect he's going to. But why he doesn't now can be a tough question to answer. There's a clue, though, in the word that we've been looking at. Salvation. What do you think is the Hebrew word for salvation in this text? Yeshua. Yeshua. That's the Old Testament name for Joshua. It's the New Testament name for who? Jesus. Salvation alone is found in Jesus. Right from Psalm 62. Middle of the Old Testament. Jesus is the key to being saved. Because Jesus was strong enough to go to the cross and bear the weight of sin, but Jesus was loving enough to sacrifice Himself to the death so your sins could be paid for and mine and He could offer us life. So we trust in Him alone. He's our hope. He's our joy and our peace. We find rest in Him when everything else fails. We go to Him. We find exactly what we need. So I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you may face. But you need to know the words of this text are still as true as ever. Find rest in God alone. Find your salvation and hope in Jesus. He ultimately is the answer that we're looking for. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for these true words. Thank You for the reminder that not only are these things true and we agree with them, but we need to have the courage to do them.
So Lord, for that person, those people today who are full of anxiety or fear or worries, who feel there are enemies and threats, Lord, we pray You will give them calm and peace in their heart because they know that You are there and they can fully trust in You. Lord, thank You for being the only comfort we have in life and in death. Thank You for being the One who went to the cross for us. Thank You for being the One who is so strong that You share Your strength with us when we need it. And You are so full of love that You always reach out to save. Save and rescue and help those who need it the most today. Whether it's physical or spiritual. Rescue and save, which You're so good at doing, we pray. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.